open your Bibles this morning, if you have them, to Exodus chapter 5. If you don't know what that was, it was the call of Moses. I know, I know, you were waiting to find out who it was, right? Now, uh, what a beautiful scene, and uh, believe it or not, that's the best rendition I could find. Had to go animated. Everything else was hokey, and God spoke weird, and anyhow... I wanted to show that to you to set the stage for where we are this morning. We're in the middle, or, or the beginning, second week of a series called God Calls and People Go. And we've been talking about the idea that God, in the Bible, the story of Scripture, is that God uses ordinary and many times unlikely people to bring about his plan of redemption. And that the story of the church, the story of us, the story of God's people today is to continue that plan. Ordinary, everyday people who have been called by God to do extraordinary things in his plan to bring redemption to the world, we get to be part of that. Now, where did we leave off last week for those of you who were here and those of you who may not have been here? We were in Genesis chapter 12 where God begins the story of redemption. Genesis 1 through 11, super, super depressing. People rebelling against God, moving against God, forgetting God, hurting one another, and you just wonder what's going to happen to humanity. And God decides that he is going to continue to show his love, his capacity for forbearance, and he's going to unfold a beautiful plan to bring salvation to the people of the earth. He's going to do it through a man named Abraham, and he calls Abraham to leave his country, his extended family, his security at the age of 75 to go to an undisclosed location, which we find out is Canaan, which becomes Israel, or eventually named Palestine. God promised Abraham a number of things. He says, Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants into a great nation. We talked about last week how crazy that must have sounded because Abraham at that time had no heir. He had no children. He said to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to make your name great and I'm going to bless you. And I also want you to know two more things. I'm going to bless all the families of the earth through you. You're the one, your family, your line, your lineage is going to bring about my redemptive story. We have the full picture of that today all the way down to Jesus Christ. But Moses didn't, or Abraham didn't have that clear picture. But Abraham left and he went to Canaan anyways. And while in Canaan, God says, this is going to be the place from which my redemptive story, my salvation history is going to take place. Now what happened since then? Well, his descendants settled in Egypt during a time of famine. Many of you remember the story of Joseph. Next week we'll be showing the amazing Technicolor dream coat to start the sermon. Remember the story of Joseph. Joseph ends up going to Egypt during a time of famine and ends up saving the rest of the third generation of Abraham's descendants from famine and death from that. Over the course of 400 years, that third generation of Abraham's descendants became over a million people. Scum scholars believe as many as two million Hebrews, Jews, Israelites were living in the land of Egypt. And that scared the Egyptians mightily. Because the Egyptians were a powerful empire and they recognized that, look, there are more Jews than there are Egyptians. And so Pharaoh decided to enslave them before they would rise up and take over the country for themselves in his mind. 
So here are the descendants of Abraham, the ones that God is supposedly going to bless, the ones that God supposedly is going to give the land of Canaan, the ones through whom God is going to bring about redemptive history, and their slaves. Things certainly didn't go to plan, apparently, because they're slaves in Egypt, and they're seemingly no closer to all the promises given to Abraham than they were when they were given to Abraham nearly 600 years earlier. So as we saw a moment ago, God calls a deliverer. God calls a man named Moses. He was an exiled shepherd, one who had committed murder in the land of Egypt and fled. He wasn't necessarily the perfect man for the job. He wasn't ordinary because he'd grown up in Pharaoh's household, but he certainly was a man who it was weird, different for him to be called the deliverer, but that's who Moses becomes. God says, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Moses' main objection to God was simple. God, I'm not a good speaker. So he says, all right, Moses, I'll send you Aaron. And as the story moves forward into chapter 5, Aaron and Moses go to Pharaoh, and it says they said to Pharaoh, because Moses needed Aaron to say it. They said to Pharaoh, let my people go. And of course, you all have read the story. You're all going to watch the Ten Commandments when it comes on NBC around Easter time coming up. We all know the story. They went to Pharaoh. They said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, that sounds good. You can leave. Of course, that's not the way the story goes. In fact, Pharaoh mocks Moses and Aaron. Pharaoh dismissed Moses' God. And then, just to be vindictive, spiteful, capricious, Pharaoh stopped providing straw to the Hebrew slaves for their brick-making. They had to go and gather it on their own, but then he didn't lessen the quota at all. So Moses and Pharaoh are at odds. God and Pharaoh are at odds, and we're about to read that this now brings Moses and his people to odds. In fact, right before we're going to read here in verse 20 of chapter 5, the foremen of the slaves, the leaders among the Hebrew people, have been beaten to a pulp because they were unable to make enough bricks to keep up with the quota that Pharaoh had set for them. None of the promises to Abraham had been fulfilled. They seem more and more remote than ever. And now Moses, the deliverer, is left in a place of wondering what to do next. Are you in chapter 5? We're going to read in verse 20. And the they that begins verse 20 are these beaten foremen of the Hebrew people. As the foremen left Pharaoh, they came upon Moses and Aaron, who were waiting to meet them. They said to them, The Lord look upon you and judge, for you have brought us into bad odor with the Pharaoh. Wouldn't you like to say that to somebody at some point? I'm in bad odor with you right now, aren't I? I don't know, literal translation. Pharaoh and his officials, and you have put a sword in their hand to kill us. In in essence, we're going to end up dead because of you, Moses. So Moses turned to the Lord, and he said, Oh, Lord, why have you mistreated these people? Why did you ever send me since I first came to Pharaoh to speak in your name? He's mistreated this people, and you have done nothing at all to deliver your people. So the Lord said to Moses, now you'll see what I'll do to Pharaoh. Indeed, with a mighty hand, he will end up letting them go. 
and by a mighty hand he will drive them out of his land. God also spoke to Moses. He says, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob as God Almighty. El Shaddai. But by my name, the Lord, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan and the land in which they now resided as aliens. I have also heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are holding as slaves, and I've remembered that covenant. So you go and say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will free you from the burdens of the Egyptians and deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. So Moses told that to the Israelites, but they would not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and their cruel slavery. We're going to read 10 through 13 a little bit later on, but I just want to bring us to the point that Moses is at. The foremen are beaten. He's there saying to him, Moses, you should be judged for what you've come here and done in Egypt. It wasn't so bad being slaves. Now we're slaves who are getting beaten and bloodied because of being slaves. Moses goes to God and says, God, why? Why would you allow this to happen? Why? God gives him a pep talk. He goes back to these leaders of the Hebrew people and says, listen to what God says. And they say, we don't want to hear it. Things have been too hard since you came back to town. It says they had a broken spirit. You know, Moses told God this was going to happen. When Moses was standing at the burning bush, he told God exactly what was going to go wrong. All four objections that Moses had for God back in chapter 3 that we saw a little bit of in this video today, all of the objections that Moses had for God played out right in front of Moses' eyes. He said, who am I to go to Pharaoh? And Pharaoh treated him like a nobody. He said, the people aren't going to listen, nor are they going to believe me. We have proof of that right here in 6, verse 9. He doesn't know if he can trust God. He says, God, if I'm to go to these people in Egypt, your people, the Hebrew people, the Israelite people, if I'm to go to them, who should I say is sending me? I don't even know that I know you all that well. And God says, I am that I am. I'm Yahweh. Same thing, Yahweh. Am that I am, the Lord. That's who I am. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's who is sending you to let these people go. But he doesn't know if he can trust God. He doesn't have some intimate relationship with this God. And finally, the thing that perhaps he feared most, his lack of eloquent speech persuaded no one. Moses said to God, I can't speak well in public. How am I supposed to go to the court of the most powerful man on earth and convince him of anything. Convince him of anything. All of Moses' fears when he began to serve God played out exactly as he feared they would. God, you called me. I tried to tell you this would be a nightmare. And look, the nightmare is coming true. Thanks a bunch. Now, I want us to see the loving beautiful and patient response that God gives Moses in verse 10. You still in your Bibles? 
Look back down in verse 10 of chapter 6. After all of this, the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Moses, go and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of the land. But Moses spoke to the Lord, the Israelites have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me, poor speaker that I am? To this objection, God says, thus, thus the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. And he gave them orders regarding the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, charging them to free the Israelites from the land of Egypt. You pick up what happened here? All of Moses' fears played out. Everything's going terrible. He's super depressed about the way things have gone. And God looks at him and says, I know exactly what you need to do, Moses. Go to Pharaoh again and tell him to let the people go. Now that is depressing, above depressing. Nobody is on Moses' side at this point but Aaron. Pharaoh just thinks he's a nobody. His own people want God to judge him for what he's done. And God lovingly tells him to get up, dust himself off, and go back to work. Don't you love the Spirit of the Lord as he comforts hearts? That's what's going on here. But there are things that we can learn from this story. When the call of God has hit the rocks, if you will, that analogy is from being in a ship and getting blown about by the sea. When you hit the rocks, it's game over for you and your ship. And that's what it seems to be for Moses right in this moment. It seems to be game over. Pharaoh hasn't listened. The Israelites are rebelling against him now. Why did he ever leave Midian? That's what he's asking at this moment. God, why did I ever come back here? Why did you call me? And why in the world are you letting these people suffer for what I've done? I don't get it. But that's the first thing that we can learn from Moses in this story. I love what Moses does here because Moses doesn't shut down. Moses takes his depression, his disappointment, he takes the fact that all his fears have been realized and instead of looking at Yahweh going, dude, that did not work, I'm out. He takes that depression and that disappointment, perhaps anger, and he takes that right back to God. Because God's a big boy. And God can handle it. We don't have God looking at Moses and going, how dare you speak to me that way? How dare you say that to me? I'm God, don't you know? No, Moses takes his disappointment, his anger, and his upset right to God, and God moves in to Moses. The second thing that we can see from this story that's interesting is that God reminds Moses where to put his confidence. God says, listen, Moses, I'm giving you something that no one else has had up to this point. Do you hear me? You know me better than Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I revealed myself to them as God Almighty, El Shaddai in the Hebrew, the one who is the one true God. That's how I revealed myself to them. But I'm going to tell you my name now. And it's Yahweh, which in the English means I am that I am. A little biblical fact for those of you who are reading your Bible and you're like, where is he getting Yahweh out of that? Anytime that you see the Lord capitalized, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's Yahweh. That's the name of the Lord our God right there. Now, you say, well, why don't we sing any worship choruses about Yahweh? Well, back in the 80s, we sang a lot about Jehovah. And that was the English way of saying the Hebrew Yahweh. All right? You say, why don't we sing songs about Jehovah now? I don't know. Somebody should write one. Anyhow, so we have God revealing himself to Moses in a greater way than any of the people that have seen or heard from God Almighty in the history of humanity. God says, Moses, you shall know me more intimately 
than the legends of your forefathers. You have been reared on the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so have the Israelites. They know the promises and they know the stories. They know all about the things that I did with your ancestors, but you know me better than them. You're in closer counsel with me than they were. In essence, God has said to Moses, my doors don't close, my office hours never end. So Moses in his disappointment, his despair comes to God and looks at God and goes, what in the world are you doing? And God says, know me, trust me, be close to me. And then look at this pep talk. Are you still in your Bibles? I love this pep talk. God gives Moses a real good pep talk. He says, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will free you from the burdens of the Egyptians and deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. I will take you as my people. I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from the burdens of Egypt. I will bring you into the land that I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. And then the congregation went, good preaching. Because those are the words that Moses is supposed to take to the Israelites. And he goes and he says it, and I bet Moses did the best that he could because he's slow of speech and slow of tongue, don't you know? I'm sure that he did his best to recount the words of God to the people who he needed to recount those words to. And what does it say in verse 9? But they wouldn't listen. They didn't want to hear it. So Moses, in spite of his fear, in spite of his despair, in spite of the fact that everything has gone wrong, goes to the people and speaks the words of faith, and God is so good to him that all of his fears are re-realized. Everything that just made him just depressed and sad and disappointed, now God has not only made things go bad for everybody else and made him feel small, Moses goes and uses the non-talent that he has to communicate the word of the Lord to the Israelites, and it really doesn't go well. It doesn't go well at all. And that's the one that for most of us, I think, cuts closest to our hearts. Because it's one thing for things external to go wrong. But after this moment, I imagine that every problem that Moses had with his own self-esteem, self-image, and confidence was brought to the fore. Every issue he had in here was magnified because of this happening. My own people, my own people, are now not even listening to me. Boy, am I a poor speaker. And then the fourth thing that I want us to notice from the story of Moses before we turn it and apply it to our lives is this. God just gives Moses new marching orders. Verse 10, so the Lord spoke to Moses. He says, go and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of the land. God doesn't give him any respite. He says, Moses, get up and keep going. Moses looks at God again and says, God, you don't understand. That speech, the one that you powerfully gave to me that I really weakly gave to the people, you know, that speech, they didn't even listen to me. Pharaoh's definitely not going to listen to me. It's game over, God. And look at verse 13. Thus the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them orders regarding the Israelites and Pharaoh king of Egypt, charging them to free the Israelites from the land of Egypt. God doesn't even give a moment at least in Scripture, to Moses' 
psyche, his fear of speaking in public. God doesn't give a moment to it. He just says, go back. I've got a plan now. I'm going to give you a plan, orders regarding the Israelites. I'm going to give you orders regarding Pharaoh, and I want you to do exactly as I've told you. And Moses goes, and Aaron goes. God reiterates the call. We have work to do. Reading this story, it's important for us to ask this morning, why in the world, if this was Moses, the most important person in the Jewish faith, one of the most important people in our faith, one of the most important people who ever lived, why in the world when God calls us to do something would we expect it to be easy if this is the way it went for Moses? When God calls us to do something, as we talked about in the open, it's to further his plan. Well, his plan is to clean up the messes of this world. His plan is to clean up the darkest, saddest, dirtiest, most horrible things that human beings could concoct upon this world. God's cleaning that up and he's using us to do it. Why would we ever expect that to be easy? This is a legitimate question. But there's something that happens in our minds, something that goes on in our spirits that when we begin to turn our lives over to God in the ways that he's calling us to turn our lives over to him, we just assume that everything's going to be great because we've got God on our side now. I'm walking with God, so things are going to be easy from this point forward. But all of a sudden, we get out and we start doing the things that God's called us to do, and maybe they're just baby steps into what God's calling us to do. Maybe it's quitting this or doing a little bit of that, and then everything goes haywire. And all that we're experiencing in this newfound call of God is pain and apparent futility. Pain because I really don't like doing what you've called me to do, God. And futility, God, I just don't see any results from doing that. And that's what Moses has experienced. Years ago, uh, the back portion of this property across the creek was wooded, swampy land. And the leadership of the church at the time decided that they'd put a pavilion up there so they'd need to bring in tons upon tons and upon tons of fill to fill up that land and get it at a level by which we could have a picnic pavilion and have a nice place to go out and, and uh, play bocce ball and volleyball and kickball and whatever else we want to do out in a grassy field. Well, after all that fill was brought in, it was just dirt and rocks. And so the leadership of the church called out the people of the church and said, we are going to have rock pickup. Because we've only, how, how, somebody tell me, how many acres is that out there? Any guesses? Two? I don't know. That was the rockiest dirt that had ever been brought from any place that has ever been seen on the face of the earth. Every quarter of an inch, there was another stone. And we were going to pick that up because eventually we were going to have beautiful grass. So I remember I was home from college and my dad looked at me and said, we're going up to pick up rocks today. And I thought he was joking. I thought, pick up rocks? What are we picking up rocks for? Well, we're eventually going to have a beautiful field of green grass up there by the pavilion and a picnic area. It's going to be beautiful. So uh, the people of the church are going out. We're Saturday morning going to pick up rocks. And there they were, five-gallon buckets, shorts and T-shirts, and we picked up rocks for hours. And we'd fill the buckets and we'd go and we'd empty the buckets in a designated area and we'd fill them some more. 
And by the time that we ended on that first day, we looked, and you wouldn't have known that we'd picked up one rock. How many can raise your hand and say, Pastor Matt is not exaggerating? I was there. It was horrible. Tom Hall, you were board chairman at that time, and I blame you. I left that day with pains and places. I didn't know I had places. It was awful. And we had more to do. And we had to have more rock pickup days. But if you go out there on April 15th of this year, depressed because you've just filed your taxes, you can see a beautiful lawn of green grass. You can go up there and have picnics, and you can play kickball and volleyball and enjoy. But at the moment of doing that, it seemed like nothing more than an exercise in pain and futility. I'll tell you, that's oftentimes the way it works with the call of God. It's painful, it's futile, but the payoff is the payoff, and it's working with God to bring about his awesome plan in redeeming this world. And it's worth it. It's worth it in the end. A couple a day of aching hamstrings is worth the payoff of what that ended up. And a couple of months or years of toiling at the work of God to bring about his plan is worth it. If it was like this for Moses, and it was certainly like this for Jesus, boy, did he have a great job description. Go to a people who are your own who will reject you. Have more people who will betray and reject you. Do nothing but serve people your entire time on earth and then let them kill you. But for the joy that was set before him, he did it. So what is it that we should do when the call of God begins to feel painful and futile? Well, we have the answers directly from the text this morning. The first thing is this. Keep the line of communication open. Don't shut down. If you're ticked off at God because he calls you to do something and it doesn't work out peachy keen hunky-dory in the first eight hours, take that to him. God's a big boy. He can handle your upset. God, why is it that you would allow this not to work out? Why is it that this seems painful? Why is it that this isn't working out for me right now? God, I'm upset that you would call me to do this and then things haven't worked out the way that they should. That is much better than going, well, that didn't work. Eight hours later, I'm out. But that's oftentimes what we as human beings do with the call of God. God calls us into an act of obedience. He calls us to step out into a new ministry. He calls us to step out in faith and do something that we would never do before. He calls us to give something that we would have never given before. And the minute we give it, the minute we do it, the minute we step out, the minute we say it, let down. Worst fears can be realized. And when that happens, we oftentimes go, God, see you with that call. Maybe you'll be able to touch my heart with something later on in my life, but that one didn't work out. I'm done with that. So if you call me back to obedience in that area, we're not going to be talking because it didn't work out the last time. And I know that we can get into these ruts. No matter how talented we are, no matter how good the plan was, no matter how much self-control we think we have, our worst fears can be realized and the call can seem to be futile. And the thing to do in that moment is take it to God. 
Imagine for just a moment if one of you ladies, for instance, is, uh, has a coworker named Sally. And you love Sally. You have a lot of fun with Sally. Sally is just a great gal, and you just appreciate working with her. And you're in prayer one day at home. You've read your Bible. You're praying for the day, and you, you say, you know what? I don't know why, but God's just bringing Sally to mind. I can't get her out of my mind. And then that night, you're just laying in bed, and you're thinking of Sally, and you think, wow, God, you're trying to tell me to reach out to Sally. And you feel like God places this seed in your heart for Sally. You know, Sally needs to know the Lord. And you're the one to, to help her come to a knowledge of, of who God is. And you think, all right, God, that sounds good. I'm going to go, and, and I'm going to be careful with this. I'm not going to go preaching at her, but maybe I'll just invite her, oh, I don't know, to the Vine movie night on March 17th at 6.30 p.m. And maybe, maybe I'm going to do that. And I know they're playing War Room. It's a great story of faith, and we'll just have fun. And, and so you go up to Sally, we're going to say, hey, Sally, uh, they were having a movie night at my church this Friday. I, I wondered if you might want to go. Sally looks at you and goes, I, I, I'm busy this Friday, but thanks. And she walks away. And you think, she huh, me. What was that huh? Well, why, did, why did she huh? I shouldn't have been huh. It's a movie night. I, I wasn't leading her to any scriptures or down the Romans road. I just invited her to a movie. And she went huh. She must not like me. She must not never want to hang out with me. Or maybe she's mad at God. Maybe when she was seven, her cat died after she had prayed. And, and because that cat died, she hasn't trusted God since. So Sally doesn't trust God, and she thinks I'm a loser, and so she won't come to church with me, and therefore, I don't think I should have been reaching out to Sally in the first place. Now, I know that's an absurd thing, Right? I know that's an absurd thing to say. But isn't it interesting how if we don't take those fears and those concerns to God, how our mind can begin to race and all of our worst fears can be realized? Now, I don't know what Sally's huh was all about. I don't. But I do know that if God has called you to reach out to Sally, he wasn't joking. And he has a plan for Sally and you're part of that plan. And a little, huh, I've already got plans Friday night, should not stop your pursuit of Sally for the Lord. But oftentimes, that's when we break off communication with God. God, that didn't go well. Calls over. Calls over. This happens with all types of things in our lives. It could be getting out of bondage and hang-ups that God's called us to get out of. God, you have called me not to live in this sinful way anymore, and you bring it to my mind almost every day. And I know I'm not supposed to be living this way and doing this thing. And God, I, 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 it just, it, it, it bugs me, and it bugs me, and it bugs me. But if I go ahead and continue to do what you're calling me to do, all of my worst fears are going to be realized. And the question is not whether those fears are going to be realized. They just might. The question is whether or not God has called you to it because he has a plan and you're part of it. Because he has a plan and you're part of it. Now, I'm, I'm going to throw a, a ridiculous percentage out there. 97% of the time in life, our worst fears are not realized. I made that number up. 
But that's what we think when God calls us to step out in faith and stop doing something that we've done that's been comforting, that somehow has, has made life work for us even though it's sin, even though it's wrong, even though he brings it to our mind's eye all the time. He says, stop that. God, it's going to be too hard. I've gone down that road before. I've tried to stop, and it didn't work. I tried to do the right thing, and, and it, was just, it was just too hard. So talk to me about something else, but we're not going to talk about that. This happens to us all the time in the church when we're doing ministries and, and we get involved in church things and all of a sudden we don't see the amount of people coming to that event or we don't see the amount of people serving in that thing that God's called us to do and we, we just think nobody cares. Nobody's interested. God, I must have heard you wrong. I'm out. And God said, did I call you? I took an idea to Pastor Matt I had an idea that God had given me and he laid it on my heart and I took it to him and he sat in his office and he looked at me like I had antlers. He's a spiritual guy. If the spiritual people don't get it, certainly I had to be wrong. Did God call you? Did God call you? God is never overwhelmed by the setbacks that overwhelm you because he has a plan. And as we've seen the last two weeks in our key verse, he will fulfill his intention. He will fulfill his intention. It's also a time for you, and this is number two, to grow closer to the Lord. Grow in your relationship to him. Taking those setbacks and that sadness and that depression and that despair to God allows God to come into your heart and tell you the truth about what you think is going on. Moses, here's the truth. The truth is, I'm closer to you than you even realize. I've given you more access to me than I've ever given anybody before. Oh, and by the way, I am going to fulfill my promises. I am going to do what I've said. I am the Lord Almighty. God gives him the pep talk. In that moment, Moses' confidence in God grows. Moses' confidence in himself decreases. And that's the way it's supposed to be. When we take our disappointments and our, and our sadness and our, our, our worry and our wonderings to God, God has an opportunity to speak to us while we have a soft heart before him. We learn far more in the valley than on the mountaintop. Far more. Far more. When we're at our low and we're talking to God with our pride low and our confidence low and our self-assurance low, that's when God has an open ear to us. That's when he has a time to come close. So maybe you're struggling right now. Maybe you're in that place where you go, I've stepped out, I've started to work on that thing that God called me to work on, and it's not going well. And God says, bring that to me. I've been doing that ministry for long enough now, and it has not been working out for me. I, I don't think I should be doing it anymore. God says, bring that to me. You say, I've been reaching out to people at work, and they don't like me anymore, and they just think I'm a weird church person, and I've been working, working to, to get to, I can't even get anybody to come to a Christmas concert with me. What's wrong with me? God says, bring that to him. Because as your confidence in him grows, your confidence in yourself decreases, and vice versa. And your intimacy with God will begin to grow. You're going to learn to trust him more. Moses trusted him so much that he goes to the Israelites, even though he is slow of speech and slow of tongue. Thank you, King James Version. And he speaks those words of faith that God gives him. And that's what we have to do when we're at our lowest when we don't think the plan of God's going to work in our life, when we don't think that we can ever obey him and what he's calling us to obey him in, when we think that we're down and out and it's not going to happen, 
it's time to speak words of faith. Moses goes to the Israelites and says exactly what God said to him, that he is the Lord, that he is going to redeem, that he has remembered his covenant, that he is going to set them free, that he is going to punish Egypt for having them in slavery, that he is going to bring them into the land, and they will have all the promises that God gave to Abraham. God says all of those things to Moses, and Moses, because he has putting more faith in God, having grown closer to him, he goes and he says it. He says what God has spoken into his heart. And you know what? There is power in that. You say, but it didn't work out. I'll show you the power in just a minute. But there is power in speaking the words of faith that the Lord has given you. I would much rather have people speaking the words of faith over the circumstances and and, and things of their life than speaking the words of despair that they went to God with. He went to God with, why did you send me? Why are you mistreating the people? He left God with saying, I am the Lord your God and he will redeem his people. He spoke the words of faith. And there is power in that for the human being. Because God goes, yeah, now I can use you. Now you have the right mindset to do what I've called you to do. You say, I've got a hang-up that I just can't get over. In Jesus' name, I'm going to get over that hang-up. That hang-up is going to be defeated because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That hang-up is going down, and God's going to be lifted high when I get over this thing. That fear that I have, that, that, that issue that I have in trying to share my faith with those people at school or at work, that, that is not going to remain forever. In Jesus' name, I'm going to start just saying to people, God loves you and so do I. And if they think I'm a lunatic for saying such things, good for them. But maybe it'll open up a conversation with just one person. Just one person who will come to know that their God lives and their God loves them. If if that's it, I'll do it. Because God called me to do it. Speak those words of faith over your life in spite of your rejections, in spite of your fears. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. Speak it over your life. That ministry that God calls me to, that is going to thrive in Jesus' name. We are going to make a difference in Jesus' name. We are going to accomplish everything that we set out to accomplish because God is faithful and he has called us. Those are the type of people you want to be around, aren't they? You don't want to be around the analysis, right, or the analyst. The analyst is going, you know, there's a lot of reasons that I don't think this could work. There are a lot of things that I, I think would really submarine this project. You don't want that person on your team. You want the person who has gone to God, who has got their confidence from God, and then speaks the words of faith that God has given them. That's who you want on your team. But what difference did any of this make, Matt? Because I saw verse 10 through 13. God is just going to dismiss my concerns, rudely send me back to work, and that's going to be it. What difference did it make for Moses? I'll tell you this, and I want you to research this this week. In chapter 5, Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh, and it says this, they spoke to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. From chapter 6 onwards, guess who's talking to Pharaoh? Moses. Moses is saying, let my people go. No, all of us are going to go, Pharaoh. No, all of us and our livestock, Pharaoh, not a hoof shall be left behind. 
Something took place when Moses went and spoke the words of faith to those Israelites, those Hebrews. Something took place in Moses. And even though the fear was not erased, God, I didn't convince anybody, something changed in his heart because his worst fear had been realized and God said, all right, now I can use you. Moses becomes the speaker. Aaron becomes the guy with the staff going, oh, river to blood, frogs. Moses is the one looking at Pharaoh and going, I will pray to the Lord and I will end this thing, but you let my people go. Something changed in Moses through his fear, through his depression, through his anxiety, and through his worst fears being realized. And the lesson from this is that God must take us on our journey before we can lead anyone to their destination. God's plan is not wasted because you've had a bit of a hard time. God's plan has not ended because you've had a bit of a hard time. And let me not minimize that because some of you might feel like I'm minimizing. God's plan for your life and what he is going to do through you has not been overwhelmed by the major setbacks that you've had because they're not setbacks for God. And God had to lead you through this journey for you to end up doing the exact thing that he's going to do through you. That's faith. That's trusting. And sometimes the place of our greatest fear, our greatest wounding, and our greatest resentment become the greatest place of ministry that we have the rest of our lives. The thing that thought you thought was going to sink your ship because it hit the rocks is the very thing that's going to strengthen your hull and is going to send you off and give you the ability to do what God has called you to do. That's who God is. And that's what God does. All you need to do when you get to this moment of your worst fears being realized is speak that word of faith and then say, God, what are my next directives? And that's the last thing. Seek out the next set of directives. Just because the call didn't work the first time doesn't mean that it's not going to work in the future. You might have to reprioritize. You might have to make a better plan. You might have to go to the Lord and say, Lord, how much of me got mixed up in what you wanted to do that really sort of messed this whole thing up? You can seek out a new set of directions. You can ask the question, God, what am I learning through this? Don't go back and do the same thing that failed over and over and over again. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Reprioritize, redirect, go to the Lord and say, God, what do you want me to do to make this right? But God says to Moses and he says to Aaron, Here's the plan. Here's your orders. Here's what you're going to do for the Israelites. Here's what you're going to do in front of Pharaoh. And let's get this thing done. He's good to make the plan, too. He's good to develop you a little bit further in order to do exactly what he's called you to do. So as AJ comes today, I want to ask you just a couple of questions, and it's this. What is it that God continues to lay on your mind's eye or at your heart's door that you're looking at God and saying, God, I can't. Or, God, I won't. Because I've been down that road and I have some fears and I just can't go there, God. That's the place where he wants to meet you. That's the place where he wants to speak to you. 
That's the place where he wants to tell you exactly where to put your confidence. That's exactly the place where he'll give you the words of faith to speak over your life. And that's the place where with your open heart, he can give you new directives to where he wants you to go. What is God calling you to today? And are you shutting down or are you opening up? Are you opening up? Today, would you bow your heads with me? We're just going to make this a place of prayer for the next few minutes. And I invite you, if God is ministering strongly to your heart, you're going, God, I know I've been shutting down in an area of my life. Or if God's just saying, hey, bring your despair and your upset and your hurt to me. If God's saying to you today, hey, just come to me. Let's talk about this. And let's redirect. Or if you say, God, I need a word of faith right now to speak over my life from you. This is the time to find that. I invite you this morning because these altars are open. And there is power when God calls of people going and moving towards him. You don't have to wait till I'm done talking. If God's speaking to you today, why don't you come and pray? Why don't you come right here and join me at this altar? God's speaking to you. Come right now. Come right now. Our elders will come. They'll pray for you. You'll feel a hand on your shoulder. But you come right now. People are coming. You're worried about what people are thinking around you if you come today and pray and lay your heart before God. I want to tell you, people are already moving and no one's looking at you. You come and pray. You come and bring that to the Lord. I invite you, if you're in your seats, keep those heads bowed, keep those eyes closed, and I invite you to say, God, what have I heard today that you want to speak to me about? And just lay that before the Lord. We're just going to make this a house of prayer for a few minutes. Then Angel will call us back to sing a song of benediction. But I just invite you to just pray. For those of you who are new today, we just pray for a few minutes, and then we, we sing and we get out of here. But I invite you, if God's speaking to your heart today, just pray. He'll meet you here.